Hope everyone enjoyed part one with Sammy Berridge. And just because we love yous, we're going to let yous listen to part two. The kind of people we are. Now, part two Legend, is where mate. we are. As we said, part one, big macro. Part two, stocks, stocks, stocks. Stocks and stocks and Just more stocks. <laughs> Bloody good, mate. We go on the, the lithium billionaires, what Sammy mm. thinks they're up to, what, yeah. why Genesis and Pilbara are the most shorted stocks on the ASX, mm-hmm. uh, Orobanda. I wanted him to explain to me. The Orobanda story. Yes. One of his biggest holdings. Explain, defend, whichever one you whichever one you want to look <laughs> when at. When you it. asked that question, did you know that he'd been an Orobanda, a big Orobanda shareholder for a long time? Uh, no. <laughs> I would have asked it anyway. I, I, I still would have asked it because I want a bloody explanation. Yeah, well done. So, um, it, was good, it was a good answer. Uh, Leonora Consolidation, what do you think Silver Lake's game plan is? What are they up to? Yep. Will they do that? Christmas Eve takeover <laughs> offer. Uh, Paladin, Paladin first the Sprott Physical Uranium Trust. That was a good chat. Yeah. And a bloody ripping and allowably extended, mm-hmm. overrated, underrated. Yeah. It was sentences instead of words, but his sentences were bloody good. They were. They were. It was an acceptable, elaborated edition of overrated, underrated. Well done, Sammy. Bloody love it. Now. All these, he's, he has got a bit of an underground mining fate, like between Genesis, Orobanda, a lot of underground mining. Resonates with me. It and does. The, the thing about underground mining, boys. What's that? You can't walk down there without some ground support in the backs. <laughs> and you know who the household name for ground support is? DSI Underground. Okay. It's like, I would say DSI are like Band-Aid. It's just right. like if you want to fix a wound, you get a Band-Aid. It's the gen- generic name. That's it, what DSI are for the ground support industry. I think you need a better analogy because like a Band-Aid gets wet and it falls off, but mm. their mesh and bolts, mate, they just – they Stays forever. Forever. Like it's like you, a permanent Band-Aid. Yeah, it'd be like chucking um, <laughs> bloody like that horse tape, like yeah. heavy, heavy duty heavy shit. Duty. Yeah. Heavy duty. Leading supplier <laughs> for the underground mining and tunnelling industry. Three, as we can see – Mate, manufacturing facility. We've got to go get that split sets and stuff from mm. Qdale to stack on our wall. They're in Qdale, they're in Brisbane, they're in Newcastle. Mate. Kalgoorlie as well, I think. Oh, they're, but the actual manufacturing oh, facilities, gotcha. but they've got uh, that bloody distribution. Uh, depots, yeah. distributions, bloody everywhere. Look on the map. Yeah, the Rock, service and mines everywhere, right? Just everywhere, JD. It's bloody everywhere. Anywhere there's a hole in the ground, there's probably a DSI bolt. Mm. jammed into the rock. Right, so we talked split sets and gooey bolts and posimix bolts and resin and stuff last week. Here's that resin I was telling you about, the bloody smell. It doesn't smell too bad when it's covered like that. It's when they pop open, they go to shit. That's not what I pictured. Yeah, so and now here you can see that's the posimix bolt right there, the big Rio bar, and there's a hole drilled and that glue has been jammed up the hole. So then you put that up there, then you spin the bolt in and that's what mixes the resin and... uh, that's the load transfer mechanism to the ground. That's right. one in action. So uh, there we go. Right now, it's impressive, mate. It is now to be rude not to share a bit of a bit of jumbo porn <laughs> procured from a, an operator. I think this operator knows what he's doing. Actually, um, check this out, boys. We're talking. Here's some split set installation in action. <laughs> Is this you? Time in motion. No, because I wasn't allowed to take videos right. underground. Then flick it back over, load another one on. How <laughs> bloody good is it? Time in motion. You've got to get the, the boom drilling before you jam the bolt in. You're wasting time. you got two booms. You want to be bloody using them all at all <laughs> times, boys. Can I just say, Matty, uh, if you didn't know a jumbo was a piece of underground equipment, the word jumbo porn would be completely inappropriate. Jumbo, it would be. <laughs> anyway, like we do a mining podcast. <laughs> Right, now, today, boys, we'll talk about MD and MDX bolts. Now, it's pretty much ground support on steroids. So think of a split set, think of a gooey bolt, put the gooey bolt inside the split set, you get one of these things. 
That's the MDX bolt, the Sandvik MDX bolt, but it's now oh, yeah. goes through DSI, so you don't have to chuck a separate Sandvik order in. All through DSI, one stop shop, one invoice, piece of piss. So that's that's it's for, it's for like all the seismic areas, like uh, like. They're a dynamic. There's a dynamic version, so mm. if the ground moves and goes, it goes with it. So that's the um, that is the go these days. Look at the four. Look at the forearms on this underground miner because <laughs> they've got a bit of weight about them. So bloody jamming them on every day. Look at that's a miss mine actually. Is that a nipper? That might be the jump operator or the nipper. Mm. But if it is the nipper, and this happens, he'd be getting the shits. <laughs> this is an example where. It's taken a few goes to get the one MDX bolt in. And so, one, the nipper gets the shits because mm-hmm. you've got to load the same bolt on numerous times just to get that one done. Mm-hmm. But you know who it's good for? Who? DSI. Because <laughs> <laughs> once you chew through the bolts, you just chuck another DSI order in, boys, and it's all good to play. They're still make, Everyone out there, they're still making bolts every day. Just chuck another DSI order. Just don't think, don't think twice about them. So... And, look, here's the game changer. Now, here's another intricacy about the Jumbo Boys. When you're doing MDX bolts, you can't – if when you put your next sheet of mesh up, you usually have to replace it, put another MDX bolt, and, like, you double bolt the same area to hang your next bit of mesh. You don't have stubby bolts like you do with split sets. But look at this, the meshing clamp. So you can chuck that on the end of your dolly, pick the sheet up, and then that clamp goes on an old MDX bolt as you can see here, so you don't have to double bolt. So you can save up to seven bolts wow. per, per heading. So, mate, that's, what, do it that's all, what's hey. DSI is about. Like they're pretty much providing something to save the customer money. Good for them if they use two bolts. That's not what the company are about. <laughs> they're thinking about the consumer. <laughs> they're thinking about the clients. Good values. I like it. I wish I, I wish I used these bloody things. <laughs> Well, it's easier for me just to chuck a bolt on, but I'm not paying for it, so it doesn't really matter. Next time, so, next time, Matty. Next, next time. So thanks, DSI, for coming on board. Thank, thank love, you very cheers, much. Cheers, DSI. Love your work. Matty, I was reading The Australian, like, literally three days ago. and um, Legacy media. Leg- I don't know why I was doing it. I regret it. I lost a few brain cells. <laughs> but I did notice one um, interesting article in the process. Uh, let, me get, let me guess who's made their ways back, way back into the papers this week. Oh. One very one one man that gives you confidence when you look at them. Well, you've brought the photo up here. That's a bit of a different pose to the other week. It's like a bit of yeah, I know what I'm doing. Like that's the that's the feel I'm getting. Bondy's in the paper this week. He's bullish on commodity stocks in uranium. You'd hope so. He does run a natural resources fund with Langers, and uh, mate, tell you, he's looking sharp. Yeah, always looking sharp, but he he will appear as a stock picker at the prestigious Son and Hearts Mine Investment Conference, Sydney Opera House, November seventeen. So look, if you want to do yourself a favour in life, go say hello to Bobby, <laughs> mate, and make sure you get a big massive group of yous and go up all at once. And just say you reckon, give me confidence. If <laughs> we can get some people with some signs out the front, we love Bondi or something like that. If we can get a bit of like a positive protest in a way. The cops will be there and everything. I'm sure he'll love it. I'm sure, yeah. Please <laughs> get that together. So, look, I guess we harp on about Terra Capital. They are a natural resources fund, but you know why they're special to me, boys, and special to us? From the early days of Money of Mine, they got in touch, and from then on they've been either come on for interviews, they've helped us grow our network, they've mm. always offering good business advice, resource advice, and it's people like that in the industry that and have made... And let us made... talk whatever the hell we want. Exactly. Like no, buddy, yeah, no input they... on our, our, our content. And believe in what we do, they've flicked us a bit of sponsorship and it's organisations like this and many others that have helped us that have helped Money of Mine become what it is. So I don't want to tear up or anything, <laughs> but look, we, ca- we cannot thank them enough and it's a testament to the blokes they are and DK as well for coming on for the Rare Earths. So bloody... Mate, we'll be doing it for free next year for them. We love them that much. But we really appreciate everything that people like Terra and all the other mobs have done to uh, rocket the show to where it is now. We sure so, do, mate. Yeah, love it. Thanks got, again, Terra Capital. And we've got one more special thing to reveal before we get into the uh, interview. Oh, I was thinking, is JD taking the sponsorship too far again? <laughs> <laughs> What's the go, mate? 
Well, Trav put a little riddle toward us uh, got about a week ago uh, now, and I think he completely forgot to reveal the answer personally, but I he's been reminded. Did, I did. I did. The, and riddle, the riddle was um, – the answer was Waluna. Everyone in the comments <laughs> got that one right. Well done. The three, But the, I think the thing that threw people off maybe was like what, what are the three projects that came about from the um, – from the, uh, the the assets that they kind of disposed over the way, yeah. so they did like a farm out um, of some of their ground to Creasy Group. This was when it was Apex Minerals, um, and that ultimately became Nova. Sorry, to Sirius, and that ultimately became Nova. Um, the Nova discovery. So that's one. Another one was um, they sold Galena, and that that obviously well, there's the Apple project, and that's Galena, and that's a mine now. And the other one was. Um, the, the Salt Lake, the brine rights to the SO4, and that became a mine. So three mines there in the last 10 years from those projects. Became a mine. One out of a, three a, good ones. It's a loose term. Yeah. <laughs> well, one so, and a half. So they got, they got 66% correct. On that note, lads, should we share our Let's part two? Let's rip part two Sam with Sammy Berridge from Perennial. Let's go. Well, on that on that point, let's have a yarn about the, the Battle of the Billionaires in WA Lithium. I think it's... um. It's like I said to the boys this morning. Like this is, this is like the M and A story of the decade in, in a lot of ways. Like you know, what a time a- to start a bloody morning news <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we thought the battle for Leonora was interesting enough. Like this is um this is mental. Like big personalities, billionaires, and they're like fighting it out. I just like we've talked about it ad hoc. I don't need to rehash it here. But what do you make of the strategy of Gina and Chris to kind of disrupt deals by blocking stacks across WA's hard rock lithium assets? Uh, my understanding... How long you got? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I think my, my big picture understanding of about what, um, at least what, what Chris is up to, um, Gina's a bit harder to pick, I think, because, um, you know, she uh, she's keeps, keeps very much herself. But my understanding is that the the view um, you know within within those entities is that the production side or the production forecasts for lithium out in time are just not going to be met. So a lot of these brine projects, some of these direct lithium extraction projects, um, you know, some of these more conceptual projects, which a lot of brokers are, and um, and consultants have built into the supply side of their model, just simply aren't going to happen. Um, whereas, you know, spodumene in Western Australia, you know, it's a permitting security of tenure and all that and, um, and uh, you know, path to export are all reasonably well assured. Um, you know, that's where more supply is, is likely to come from and, and certainly low, is lower risk. So I think that's their thinking um, and because that's um, the supply for some of these, you know, more um, eccentric projects that say um, is, going to, is likely to dis- disappoint so they're happy to bid, you know, bid some of these exploration discoveries up and, and secure more supply for their um, plants they've got littered around the place. And do you think, um, do you think, like the strategy of just buying minority interests without necessarily having a, a view to get a hundred percent control? Like, what do you make of that that strategy? Do you think it's it's kind of, you know, having having your cake and what, what, I forget the saying, having your you're just eating someone else's cake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. So I was yeah. eating my cake. Now can I have your cake without paying for that cake? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the details of execution, I, I really don't know. So, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. clever. Like, is it? Yeah. You've got to, like, it's it's come out as a, it goes against, I'm sure, what you considered normal mm. for mm. all Big your time, time in the totally. finance world. Totally. Yeah, I mean, and because some of the mark-to-market losses on what you know, some of these um, you know well-heeled uh, investors have bought, and then seen the sub price, you know, subsequently roll over. I mean, they're underwater by a lot of money. So, mm-hmm. you know, how are they going to make their back? What is their strategy there? I mean, I, I would have thought that they're probably interested in, in having it, seeing it, you know, the entity being vended into a bigger vehicle, and then having a, a, a small slice of that. Like, does. Does Gina really want to be, you know, owning and operating a, you know, spodumene mine and, and possibly a hydroxide facility by herself? I, mm. I don't think so. I no. mean, that's tough. She want a partner. Yeah, she definitely want a partner, and so I think that's maybe that's what she's trying to talk herself into. I mean, you know, Minres is an extremely competent company, but even they, you know, looked at the hydroxide side and thought, oh, yeah, yeah, not sure about this. We probably need a partner, and so they went and um and joined um you know joined hands with Albemarle mm. and. Um, I mean, they already, you know, they've got you know, established expertise in and contacts in the industry. So I think they'll, you know, they probably want to just vend those or sort of feed those um, resources that they've put their foot on into their own plants. But, 
you know, there'll probably be some, you know, many discussions had on, on which way, you know, is that, is that feed going to go and who gets what share of the profits, you know, when you've got multiple, you know, big fish around, uh, you know, on the, on, the owner, on, the, on the register trying to all sort of push their own self-interest. What, think- what about de- the – we spoke about Delta yesterday. Like, what are your thoughts on that? That's sixty million already. They're raising another seventy. Had another, a further discount, fifty percent down from when Minrose bought in. Underwritten uh, by Minrose, top under- facility under- that lets Gina buy. Pretty much every stage of that and raise was insto settlement Minrose before the AGM, light. which you know, mm. hello, might give out size weight to Minrose and Gina to um, ensure the resolutions to get two people to the board. Pass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I yeah. I mean, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when uh, when Chris and, and Dave Flanagan were. Uh, you know, having a chat about which way things were going to go here. Um, but, uh, you and I both, mate. <laughs> um, oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, probably Minrez has probably got a, you know, effective control of that now. Um, I think that because of this M&A euphoria um, in the space, the equity markets or the share market was there for a raising of that size. I mean, keep in mind, all of this is happening in the context of a spodumene price which has fallen 50% in the last six months. 75% in a year. Yeah. yeah. I mean, normally... To be fair, they were at stupid, ridiculous highs. 100%, but, yeah. yeah. But the, the demand for the raise didn't have to be there because it was underwritten by Minrez. Like, oh, yeah, that's true, but I don't... I don't I don't know if they got hit for all of it. I mean, maybe you know the broker wants their yeah. sub underwriting, and you know they probably would have had a would have shown the book into Min and said, "Oh, we'll, we'll sub underwrite the." Well, that was that was the interesting thing, right? There was no, it wasn't underwritten by the broker. It literally like there was no sub sub underwriting where it literally just said underwritten by Minrets, not underwritten by the joint lead managers. The JLMs didn't even get an underwriting fee. They got three and a half total, but that was on the placement um, and 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 stuff. But it was Minrets in their outright capacity as underwriter. Oh, but generally speaking, the brokers will, they'll sort of, they'll make, they might sub under, underwrite the whole lot, but they don't have the balance sheet to take that if they get hit. So totally. they'll, they'll then pass it on to other people. Totally. But it's normally the broker who intermediates the underwriting. Mm. So they beca- the underwriter is Canaccord or whatever, right? And yeah. In this case, it was Bell Potter and Bell Potter and, and, Canaccord. Bell Potter and Canaccord. Normally, they're named as the underwriter and they'll sub underwriter to Tribeca, Regal, yeah, whoever. Yeah. In this case, like none of those parties involved, just Minrez as mm. underwriter. Well, I suppose from an optics point of view, if they want, you know, if Minrez didn't want to get hit for the whole lot, saying putting their name to it and saying we're here anyway, it sort of make, encourages more people to come in. Yeah. Um, so maybe they don't end up with as much. But I mean, if they wanted the whole company, they probably could have had it. But mm. you know, perhaps they just want some uh, some additional money in there to help um, you know drill out uh, the projects that they've got and um, help that thing through to a point where mm. you know Minerals can wait and see where you know what how big is it going to be and where where is it going to end up. But look at look at what the actions over like the look at the projects. Mount Ida is a you know it's not not a massive project. It's underground. It's got the there's possible lapidolite there. That's not the, a knockout grade. Yinathara doesn't look like it's going to be that high grade. It's big and very good, <laughs> but it doesn't look like it's that. But that's what all this hustle and bustle's over. They're not knockout projects at all. Agreed. But the the dollar sums are pretty small as well relative to the to the size of Minres. I mean, they were tipping in fifteen on a sixty mm. raising. They just yeah. raised over nine hundred US from a a bond offering. So, and I wouldn't count on Minres being like an advocate for the share price of Delta. I mean, they, they can extract value from those projects via off-take agreements and mining service contracts. And when you mm. have outsized influence, maybe that's actually, you know, like the, the positive NPV for you isn't in your, the Delta share price kind of mark-to-market. It's, no, that's a very good point. Uh, and maybe that's what they're thinking of doing. Yeah. And Sammy, like, do you think we'll look back in this in 10 years' time and think, well done, Gina, well done, Chris? Or do you think we'll look back at it and be like, what the hell? Are, you, are they geniuses or idiots? Like, and I, I don't know the answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, where's the lithium price going? Yeah, well, yeah good point. I mean, um, well, that's the, that's the answer. I mean, it depends on what what the lithium price does between now and, you know, 2030 or whatever, see if they get their money back, um, you know, by some way, shape or form. But uh, um, I think that, you know, it's interesting. I would have thought I would have thought the lithium price should be close to a bottom by now. But what we haven't seen yet is the production cuts from those lipidolite projects up in China, which um, you know were already always considered higher cost. Um, it does seem as though some of the owners of those projects have now become vertically vertically integrated with refineries, and so um, as a as a sort of all in one type proposition, their costs have come down a bit. Um, but we need to see that that production start to be cut. For um for a bottom to go into prices, but the other thing that's 
knocking the lithium price around a bit, I think, is is um, is interest rates and, and specifically the 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 effect that that's having on both businesses and consumers being willing to spend you know fifteen twenty thousand dollars to put a battery in their home or their business to try and mitigate their power price exposure. Um, you know, when money's cheap, you can debt finance these things. It probably makes a bit of sense. But when you know, all of a sudden, you've got to pay six or seven percent on these projects. The you know, and power prices in Europe and the US have come down recently. All of a sudden, the argument for for stationary storage is not as strong as what it was. And I know most people talk about lithium with with EVs in mind, but I think my understanding stationary storage got to circa eight nine percent of lithium demand. Um, and was growing at a circa 100% um, year on year for a while there. But just recently it's, it's rolled over pretty hard um, and you'd want to see that pick back up again, I think, to get some demand coming into the space. To finish off on this lithium chat, you know what I'm looking forward to? Tell me, buddy. Kathleen Valley starting. Because yep. all we talk about at the moment is M&A, exploration. Like, oh, like I'm looking forward to actually talking about a project <laughs> in operation because yeah. it's all just – Speculation based on no paper, rocks, paper money. no rocks at the moment. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to actually seeing that happening. Yeah, that's right. I, I want to circle back to uh, uranium. So mm-hmm. you'd spoken before how how you're bullish uranium, but I noticed in in your latest monthly that you'd actually spun out of Paladin Equity and into the um, Sprott Physical Uranium Trust. So firstly, what does that say about the uh, the valuation on equities at the moment? And secondly, what is the uh, the proposition of the upside you see for the, the physical trust? Yeah, it's a good question. It's nice to know somebody reads my monthlies. But, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you've got your biggest fan here. <laughs> <laughs> Everything you've said will be mentioned. We'll, we'll hold tonight. you to it. <laughs> um, so, the re- yeah, the reason we did, we did that is that, um, like in starting the, um, the the Strategic Natural Resources Fund, what we wanted to do is, is try and capture as much um, alpha or just outperformance as possible without – all the volatility and, you know, resources and, and energies are cyclical sectors and they can be very volatile and investors don't like volatility. I don't like volatility, you know. When you had a shit month in your fund and, you, and you're down sort of 10%, you, you know, it's all you ever think about. I just – everybody would like things just to go nice and steadily from bottom left to top right. Mm. Obviously hard to, hard to achieve in practice. So, you know, we did very well out of Paladin. We lucky um, – luckily enough um, got a bit of a slips catch in there in late May when they had that sort of bit of a kerfuffle around the mining lease in, in terms of in, in Namibia. Namibia, yeah. Yeah, so we, um, we picked up our position there and, you know, over the next five months it did about I think 98% or something to where we, where we um, eventually sold it. And the reason why we did sell it is because we model all these things and if you, you build your Paladin model, you put, into the, put in your, you know, your inputs from the DFS and then you sort of goal-seek – the uranium price to work out what MPV, also what uranium price you have to put into to get the the share price. Yeah, and I was having to get to doing circa one hundred and ten dollars a yeah. pound. Yeah. yeah. So if the equity is pricing at one hundred and ten, whereas the physical is sixty eight, well, we sell the equity and go buy the physical. Yeah. yeah. So we'd, we'd seen equity research reports come out, you know, and they move away from net asset value. Valuation because it's trading two times now. We can't we can't get a buy on it. <laughs> and then they go, they go to the blended six times, and the blended eight times, then the blended ten times production yeah. in ten years time. Just on an EV, EV multiple. It's just not blended at all <laughs> until until it's back at a discount to that. And then you're like, oh yeah, yeah. One times now is the target price again. Yeah, so I'm, I'm assuming you are not using any of those uh, lofty multiples five years into the future in your. Analysis. No, I mean I don't. I don't use multiples of NAV or anything like that. I just I leave my MPV where it is, and and just because something's at a premium of MPV doesn't necessarily mean you sell it. But it is. I think it's handy to leave those anchors in there because if you start adjusting these things or you go to the you know, like the expiration line of your of your MPV and start you know dialing that up a bit, which um, analysts do do from time to time. <laughs> Then you you sort no, of favourite of ours. Yeah, <laughs> you you can kid yourself that oh well, hang on, this thing's actually not not expensive. So I, I leave all that stuff as um, as is, and I think what I'm what I'd be more inclined to do is well, hang on, if all these projects are, are you know trading on two or three times MPV, then what am I commod- What's my commodity price forecast? Is that right? Am I too low here? Um, and you know you might go have another look at that, and then that's well. You know, where could I be too low? Have I got the demand side of this wrong? Like, what's the market paying for that I'm not seeing? And then you can start to ask those, ask yourself those questions, and then you know you'll get to answers, and and you know the answers um, 
you know, the most important part of the answer is how much conviction do you have in that answer being right? Mm. And then your conviction in that answer should then determine how big a position is this in your portfolio. Because if you're like, oh, mm. I might might be here but it's 50-50, well, you probably want to trim some of that position and just sort of de-weight a little bit in case you're wrong. I remember when we spoke with um, with Guy Keller and, and he kind of articulated that the, the, the counter to that perspective because, you know, it's like that's the rigorous approach. You do your value, you model it, and you think, geez, this is expensive on a relative basis, buy physical. The counter perspective is that um, your, as your uranium price goes up, generalists allocate – to the equities and they have a mandate they can only buy in the ASX 200 or whatever the index is. And so they just allocate to the three names in, in the index and mm. they're not looking at price to nav on them. They just, it's, it's a flow of capital. Um, like, were you thinking of that kind of, that kind of counter thesis? Oh yeah, like definitely. In, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and the uranium ETFs have had massive inflows and they, you know, you look at the top positions of the ETFs, this is a Cameco and Paladin and Boss has done very well out of it as well. You know, you need to be aware of who your co-investors are and 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 how 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 tight or how um that money might be. So yeah, that's certainly part of it. Um, but you know, for for as Guy pointed out, I think in that in that talk that because of that, um, these uh, ETFs, but also things like the the Sprott physical ETF, which you know was probably going to continue to receive inflows, I think over time, you've got this sort of positive feedback loop which could go on for a while, pushing the price you know higher and higher. Um, yeah, eventually that bubble will burst, but it could, you know, the bubble could rise a lot higher than where it is now before uh, we see the end of the cycle. Yeah, bit of finance one hundred and one from you boys because there's going to be bloody dumbass miners like me listening. How does the like the MP for the projects? Does that go into the nav calculation? The sum of the parts is that how they? Is that a if you've got one project, mm-hmm. is the yep. is the nav the MPV? Net cash position to yeah, factor in. Pretty much. So you've got your discounted cash flow of the of the project. So yeah. that's one line. Then you have your, your net debt or net cash. You know, yeah. that'd be part of it. And then I always put in something for corporate costs because yeah. that, um, you know, sits They don't fully separate. include that and, in the and, MPV. Nah, pretty, nah. Never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and, then, um, and then you might have something in there for expiration. But, you know, that. I don't like paying for expiration. I can be, get quite excited about it from time to time, but I don't like paying for it because I've, I've, you know, back as, as a geo, I've drilled plenty of holes and, uh, and hit not much. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, you know, even the best, like the thing that you might think is an absolute sure thing, you know, it might come up as a, as a, as a duster or whatever or, or hit nothing. So, you know, I, that you might have that as, a, as part of your, as your, your nav, but not much. You just be very careful about how much you, you're paying for there. So when you say the expiration, the cost of it or the potential value of finding something? The upside. Yeah, yeah. the upside. Yeah, right. Yeah. The option value. Man. Mate, just flick us that spreadsheet afterwards. I'll figure <laughs> out all these formulas. I'll do a bloody uh, – what are those books? Yeah. Mining finance for dummies. Maybe yeah. I'll be the author. We've got one on the shelf somewhere here. Oh, beauty. <laughs> I was going to ask you if you guys had read all those. It's, uh, yeah. it's I think the most yeah. of them, yeah. yeah. Oh, I've got to chuck a couple of playboys up there. <laughs> <laughs> Sammy, I want to touch on another commodity we haven't spoken about today, copper. So mm-hmm. uh, holding you to more of the words you've written, Metals Acquisition Corp was a, um, a company you're following. And as a catalyst, you, you spoke of the – potential or rumoured listing on the ASX that's meant to happen, you know, was meant to happen around about now, supposedly going to happen quarter one of next year. I'm interested just to hear how, how you think of the the catalyst being a, a listing on the exchange here. Oh, that just, I think, comes down to the, the valuation differential between the US market and the, um, and the Australian market. So down here in Australia, you know, the only big liquid um, copper producer you've got is, is Sandfire. And because you've got a lot of money trying to get copper exposure, I think what happens is the, the multiple that Sandfire trades on gets pushed up, you know, I think higher than where it otherwise might be if there was a spectrum of, um, of investment opportunities to, to choose from. And, you know, Mick uh, McMullen, the MD, is based in Australia. Nev Power is based in Australia, the chairman. Um, I think Bill wasn't Bill Beam was on the board, but he's stepped off now. He's um, but, a technique, he's an advisor, yeah. technical advisor. Yeah, so I mean, it, it it deserves to be. It should be listed in in Australia, um, and that was certainly part of the strategy um, long term. And I, my understanding, it's just taken a little bit longer to um, get some of the accounts audited, etc., and get and get the ducks in the row to facilitate um, that listing, which is probably a you know probably an after Christmas um, type story now. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure it'll make its way down there and, um, you know, that'll be judged on its merits. Well, but how do you look at investing in copper? 
do you do you, it's not like you don't have to invest in Australian copper, do no. you? Because you look at like that. Let's just use that Cobar area as an example. Like CSA is you know very high grade but very deep, and then mm-hmm. surrounding stuff like Triton is not a outperformer for Eris and like that. If trying to bundle up a heap of assets that are either very old or not really that high grade, mm. is it like well? a lot of risk just to invest in Australia because you think you want to invest in Australia. Oh, no, you're dead right. And it's, you know, it's it's at what price, you know, that are you being exposed to that risk? And, I mean, we we had, um, you know, had a bit of an heiress and it hasn't worked out well. And, and, you know, a lot of these mid-cap copper and base metal producers have really struggled um, for a variety of reasons. But in um, Metal Acquisition Corp's um, case, I mean, their deposit is is very high grade. You're sort of looking at sort of, you know, high threes, low fours percent copper. I mean, it's very and um, very similar to DeGrossa when that mm. was running. So, you know, they will be fine, I think, from a, from a margin point of view. If, if they're yeah, not even that, at 1,800 metres or whatever it is, you still – grade is – the grade offsets it. Yeah. So, you know, when you've got twice the grade of everyone else. Yeah, and yeah. I think that um, through Glencore's um, uh, ownership of that, they, they didn't do a huge amount of um, drilling – um, laterally, so I think there they. So I think the the new owners have, have found some you know, pretty decent hits, sort of adjacent but yeah. higher up. Um, so you know there there is some some low hanging fruit there, and I don't think they've released it. Well, I'm pretty sure they haven't released it quarterly yet. But the other is going to be very interesting just to have a look at um, you know, what they do on the cost front because apparently all the you know there was a lot of um, you know, I suppose you know, lazy sort of uh, sort of cost uh, management policies in place under uh, under under Glencore. Oh, and no, don't they don't really do much exploration. They'd find the world-class bit, take that, flock it off. Like, well, yeah. And, they're and not they're, looking for the low-hanging fruit, you'd say. No, no. Whereas these, it's their sole asset for these guys, so I think they'll be hard at it. And, I mean, all the, you know, the the, ten, the sort of the calibre of executives you've got in this company is, is top-notch and they have a precedent of, of success. So, you know, they've got, they've got you know, a lot of money but a lot of reputational risk attached to this as well. Mm-hmm. So I've got no doubt in my mind they'll be going hard. I wish them all the best for uh, exploration, but it just seems copper in Australia repeats aren't common. Like, look at the amount of holes that Samfire peppered throughout that Dalgarang, I think not Dalgarang, DeGrosa, I forget mm. what the region was, that whole area. that um, They peppered that. They found Monty, which was a million tonne, but other than that, like it's not like, oh, we found this beautiful ore body, let's find the the parallel, the repeat of it. There doesn't seem to be many repeats. No, that's, that's true. That's true. But certainly, I mean, yeah, Samfire drilled a lot of holes and, 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 uh, and struggled there a little bit, but... I mean, and then on the other hand, I mean, Oz Minerals, you know, went and found Carapatina. Well, I suppose they they find okay, well, they acquired Carapatina. Oh, I'm geez. pretty sure they did. I've got no idea. And then there's an, there was a one just next to it called um, uh, Fremantle Doctor or something like that. Um, so I mean, the, and then BHP found an absolutely ripper thing um, mm. down the road Oak from Dam? An Olympic Dam. That's the one. Yeah, mm. no, Oak, Oak Dam. I think yeah, they call it, that's yeah. a cracking hits, but it's, it's in BHP, yes. so no one, we don't hear about it. Well, yeah. they put out an announcement just on the bloody expiration results of that thing, and for BHP to put out expiration results, you know it's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. IGL yeah. doing the same these days. Maybe for different rationales. There was another one we um, we spoke about six or so months ago. And since then, they've had the DFS come out. We got into it a fair bit. It's a degray. So first of all, there was, you know, certain aspects, the the CapEx lift, the OPEX staying relatively the same. First question is, what were your sort of thoughts when the DFS came out? Uh, I've, I've been a little bit wary on the on the CapEx number from from the from the get-go. I mean, the, now it's underdone. Yeah, I, I, I suspect it probably is. Um I mean, it's very hard. I mean, you've got to have a bit of sympathy for these management teams here when prices are moving around as, as fast as, as what they are and also wage costs um, as well, which does make it very difficult to estimate. But, um, you know, it is a, it's not a straightforward ore body. I mean, the, you know, it's not a, just not a stock standard CIL. It's a little bit more complex than that. So, you know, they've got the contingency in place, so hopefully the, it doesn't go, go over too much. But, um yeah, I mean, it's anybody that builds a new project these days. It's it's sort of a, a given almost that it'll slip a little bit. What's the end game there? I mean, like that that presentation they put out with the DFS. They're talking about like royalty finance. Like, if end game there is like get acquired by, you know, an established player, why the hell are you putting in your presentation royalty finance? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just think they're, they're desperate to talk down the ongoing equity requirement. So the last raise they did, um, what was it, about a dollar five? 
Yeah. Um, they didn't. They didn't fully fund them through to um, through to production. They need a, a lot of debt and some other solutions there. Um, they, from you know, from self interest point of view, they'd want to talk down the, the the equity component that might be required there just to try and remove that headwind from the share price. But you know, the markets always, you know, generally pessimistic on those sorts of fronts. They'll probably assume that there will be need to be a little bit of equity at some point. But um, yeah, certainly if um, if they did put a royalty over it, it would diminish the appeal. You know, only it's only a couple of percent, like it's small, but to a potential acquirer, I think they'd prefer to have it have it clean. I'm actually surprised that it hasn't hasn't gone yet. That somebody hasn't lobbed a bid for it. But um, who do you think the logical players are? Uh, it's two billion, two billion market cap. It's a big, pretty big bite. Um, two billion. Then you got to pay another two billion to build it. Yeah. Well, hopefully it's not a two billion capex figure. But uh, well, yeah, yeah. I don't know. With eight hundred thousand ton and, pox train, and in there might Adam be the explanation pox. on why no one's bid for it. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm not sure. Um, but I mean, I think it's probably it's become a little bit too big for for Gold Road, um, so that has to be somebody else. I mean, there were all sorts of rumours that you know Barrick and others were you know sniffing around, but nothing's nothing's transpired. You know, you never know how whether there's any substance to these rumours or not. But don't, um, let, don't let that get in the road of a good story, Sammy. <laughs> yeah, uh, I. Um, what about like Newmont and um, Goldfields? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's possible. I mean, and you know, who knows? I mean, if they. I mean, maybe the strategy is to you know to watch them get this thing into into production, and if they do struggle with ramping up a pox plant, um, which is quite possible, mm. then maybe that's when um, somebody might come in and you know as the second or third owner and try and make some more money out of it. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's trying to second guess M and A is always um, always tough. With the with the allocation to the green and the gold, like which part of the gold market are you most drawn to at the moment? Is it the the undeveloped kind of ounces that can't catch a bid forever because you, you expect them to eventually rip with as gold price rips or are you actually looking for the cash flow producing? Uh, probably more leaning towards the, the cash flow side of things. I mean, it depends what funds. Like I wear a couple of different hats, yeah. certainly in the strategic natural resources, we're probably more sticking with the producers. Um, but, you know, in, you know, happy to mention, you know, we're sort of we're regular um, or you know, frequent shareholders of, of Capricorn depending on where the price is going. Um, you know, Remelius, I think, is is look like they've got an increasing sorry an outlook of, of declining costs and and you know increasing margins. I think over time, um, you know, got a, got a lot of time for the management team there. I'll be interested to see who the new CFO is, though. By the way, yeah. um, and then but then you know we might look at some of these turnaround stories like a sort of an Orabanda or somebody like that, which um, you know has done pretty well recently. And, and Luke Cray, who was you know a shining light within the Northern Star team. Um, has come out of there and, and is running his own company now. Um, I don't understand Orabanda. Please explain it to me. <laughs> right? they've, made a, they've made a lot of money out of equity raisings and selling parts of their tem- tenements, but they've consistently got an all-in sustaining cost of 29 three grand Sammy's and Sammy's been above. a shareholder for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Please explain it to me. Is it all in the management premium? Um, They're I running th- at a loss. I think it's what it's what's – expected to come next. So, I mean, you're dead right. Like the, the history of this project is woeful. You know, you go all the way back to I think what Monarch Gold had it with like Michael Keenan and apparently he didn't do any grade control and was just shoving waste through the mill. That didn't work and they went broke. Um, then I think uh, Mike Fodius at Eastern Go- Goldfields got hold of it, yeah. um, tried to go into production too fast. I think he didn't have enough mine life, ran out of cash, um, went broke. Um, through the administrative process, um, you know, came out of that. Um, had I think another um, another MD. His name um, escapes me now. Which it was know, David pro- Quinn living, and then there was um, uh, Peter Nicholson as well. Yeah, yeah. No, I think, that, and they, they had a, a tough time of it. But I think, I mean, I mean, Quinn, Quinn Living should know him better. He's been in the industry a long time. Um, Peter Nicholson, you know, he's, he's a finance guy like like me. He was with RCF for a long time. It's you know. You wouldn't, you know, we, well, I'm investing in these mines all the time, you would, but I'd never kid myself that I actually run one. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you, you need to know where you, you, need, that can't <laughs> you need to know where your boundaries are. But, um, I reckon Cray, Luke Cray is, is the guy. Oh, yeah, that, got no, no, um, no question on the right man for the job. But what, why is the mill on? Um, I, it's, I think, well, once, I think when they, um, when Cray, t- when Luke Cray took over, um, is it was going to cost them a lot of money to shut it down or they thought they'd just be able to scrape scrape through. And so, I mean, you'd know better than most. Like if you want to turn or change a mining plan, like it takes ages for that to eventually result to appear in, in, a, in a, lower, uh, a lower cash cost. So 
Luke's been under the had his feet under the desk for about twelve months now. Um, they had a bit of waste stripping they had to finish off in some of their pits, but that stripping ratio is now guided to come down quite materially. So I think it was about eight to one in the open pits last quarter. I think it's meant to be coming down to circa five to one um, in the current quarter. Um, so immediately, I think that's about ten million bucks worth of mi- worth of open pit mining that shouldn't be there in the current quarter. You know, we'll, we'll find out whether or not in January when they release their quarterly. But then on top of that, um, because they've got quite a small mill there, they need to have high grade going through it. And you know, Luke's a fantastic underground miner. They're developing that Riverina underground. That higher grade feed will come in and start to displace some of the lower grade um, open pit feed and increase that throughput for the, through the the mill. So that means your production goes up. Um, your um, unit cost should start to come down because you know it's largely fixed, and then after that, you know, you should have a little bit of breathing space to start to get into the exploration. Which again, I don't think you're paying for. I reckon, you know, the, the base business is um, is is probably worth you know circa twenty twenty five cents a share or thereabouts. But then you start to get into that thousand um, square k's or eleven hundred square k's of tenure, which is littered with gold. Um, yeah, it's not. It's not pine, but not greenfields type stuff. There's drill holes all over the place yeah. um, there. So that that exploration, that's worth real money. I mean, it, it must have been kind of a crappy experience as a shareholder to watch parts of the farm kind of be sold down and then worth it, worth a bit kind of in hindsight as, as time's gone on too. Yeah, that's fair. But I mean, you, you look at it on a per share basis. I mean, you either get diluted to all of it if they um, if they need to raise more equity or you miss some of it if they um if if they just sell off a little bit but i mean on that expiration you know potential it's um it's not just the gold i mean we just saw west farmers come in and yep. pay was it 26 million bucks yep. for the lithium rights there so i think the the question mark around this company is whether they had enough cash to see them through as you go through this turnaround period and it's always it's always tight and as an investor it's, it's sort of it is a bit of a nerve-wracking experience but after that in, injection of cash um you know upon completion um, they had pro forma cash of maybe fifty two million bucks, I think, and and about ten million bucks of debt. So all of a sudden, they've got you know plenty of working capital. Costs should be coming down, should be, um, and and um, and they've got a you know a pile of cash there to go look at that expiration. It looks so, like they've done a good job of stripping out everything they can and sold off. Like in the since Luke's been on, there's been numerous corporate like transactions of selling the lithium rights. There was. Few Lady others, Lady Ida. Mm. But are, are you confident they've they've adequately drilled? Because the the all the as you said, previous failures have been it's the grade reconciling coming out of the what's what's in the model versus what's actually goes through the mill. It's narrow, narrow vein. Have they adequately drilled it enough to? Give some confidence that it's going to reconcile when it goes through the mill. Yeah, I think so. I mean, last quarter the reconciliation. Um, versus the reserve was pretty tight. I mean, it's only a quarter's worth, but I think after they had those reconciliation issues, they went and recut the reserve and, you know, and downgraded it. But that's the base that we're working off now. And then moving forward, you know, our underground feed should be an increasing proportion of the feed into that mill. And all that happens under under um, under Luke's um, tenure. So, I mean, he watches this stuff like a hawk, um, you know, despite, his, despite the fact he is an engineer, he's, um, you know, he, he's, he, knows, he knows his geology, that's for sure. So, you know, it's uh, his name on the on the you know on the top of it as a managing director now. So, if there is a shortfall, it's going to be on him. Yeah, it made him look best of luck because if you can if you can be a success at a historically failed project, mate, hats off, I reckon. And yeah. and just to keep yourself honest to that that mm-hmm. thesis, how do you going forward over the next quarters? How many more you know chances do they get? When do you have to see? And by how much does you know all in sustaining cost have to come down before you? You become, you know, a disgruntled shareholder. <laughs> uh, it's a good question. It's a good question. Needs I think a two in front of it at least. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> at th- least <laughs> def- definitely. So I think the last quarter they're all in sustaining was about two thousand nine hundred and fifty thereabouts. So I mean, I'd like to see that down at two thousand five hundred for the um, for the current quarter. And I think you know, working back through the numbers I've mentioned already, I think that's that should be readily achievable. If it doesn't happen, well, you want to know why and then, you know, how disgruntled you get will depend on that answer. But if they can get down to that, you know, get down to that sort of level, you know, and that's, that's you know, optically a $500 an ounce um, margin that they then have, hopefully as the, as the higher grade underground feed comes into the operation, then, you know, those costs should continue to come down and, you know, we, we take, judge each data point that comes in from thereafter on its 
um, on its merits. But um, do you think they're going to be come into the M and A play around? You know, because they're a bit what west the west of Leonora, like so. They're sort of the closest thing to that Menzies area. Then you've got you know, a bit north, you've got Mount Ida north of it. Like, do you think they're going to come into play within M&A at all? Oh, not any time soon because Hawks Point's still got 42%, I think, of the stock there. So, I mean, they're only re- they didn't want to be 42%. Mm. And I was involved through the, the administration process. They bought the debt from Investec when things were dire, right? Yeah, well, there was no other bidders. <laughs> yeah. You know, they were looking around like this stock was absolutely friendless and they were the only people yep. there. So, yep. you know, they ended up with more of it than they, they really wanted. But now that they've got it, and it seems to be, you know, seems to be working. Um, they'll hold on for a while. I mean, they were big investors in, in Capricorn, yeah. and they held on to that stock for a long time before letting any go. So I imagine they'll do the same thing here. And on the tangent that Maddie just touched on, when we last spoke, we spoke a lot about the uh, the saga of Gualia, and you're still a holder in Genesis. Yep. So I just want to flesh out the the thesis there. They've got this three hundred thousand ounces per annum goal. They don't have a, a timeline to that. They're getting their hands on Dacian, you know, slow and steady now. How does that all come together and where's the the value uplift? They've got that, you know, management premium that is well noted and well deserved for people like Raleigh, people like Mark Clark. But where does the the story sort of go to from here? What gets you excited? I I think the... um the beginning of the five-year plan, I think, is is what I'll be most interested in. So in the last quarterly, those guys mined 900,000 tonnes of ore out of Admiral. Um, and this is compared to, like, the Gualia Mills only got a throughput of about 1.4 mi- yeah, million yep. tonnes per annum. So already they seem to be producing, like, optically, a lot more ore than they need for, to, to fill that mill. And I, th- I suspect they're probably going to fill that mill faster than what the what the market expects, but we'll all find we'll find this out with their their five year plan. I think they were still about what four hundred short last quarter, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, but obviously mm-hmm. there's that lag on what's coming from Admiral. Yeah. Yeah. Saracen Way was always set expectations here and exceed. So you know, I, think, <laughs> I think you're right in that strategy. Yeah, Troy, Troy Irvin, I should give him credit here. I reckon he uh, I reckon he runs his um, runs his guidance about six months behind where yeah. the op- where the operation is. Um, he yeah. does it does it very well. Um, but I think that's, you know, filling the mill is, is it and that's what they've said. I think it'll happen a little bit faster and I think maybe perhaps to a greater extent. So, I mean, I don't know how much it costs to, to increase the capacity of that mill from 1.4 to, to 2 million tonnes per annum. I think, I, think, I think it can get, I think I've read like you can, I think you can get up to about, oh, talking about me, I think it's like one seven one eight if you've got a lot of open pit, like mm. a lot of oxide. Like just the three, you can increase the throughput with the crushability. I think yeah. one point, I think it's like it was 1.2, 1.3 for very hard and then there's that other end of the scale. So if they chuck a more open pit material through it, mm. uh, the crushability will lift the throughput. Yeah. No, I think I think that was – Don't coming. hold me to that, Ralph. Not, <laughs> not that you're responding to me messages anyway, so I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have him on one day. <laughs> they've, they've obviously simplified – Gualia, but like because mm. they've they're all in sustaining come down significantly compared to what St. Barbara were producing at. So it looks like they've they've gone in there, they've pinched a bit of management from other companies and they've simplified and they look like they're actually going to possibly make Gualia not as bad as it was and actually they might even make a little bit of cash on it. Yeah, I mean, I... Because it's still five gram dirt. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. I was just going to say, like, the, 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 the raw sort of potential there in terms of the grade, like, it, it, should, be, it should be doing okay. So, I'd, you know, I'd love to get a breakdown of where all these costs were going, but it, it can happen. But I think, um, you know, somebody like Rayleigh is, um, you know, he's, he would have been down the, down the hole and, and, uh, and looking around and sort of, you know, Going through, uh, oh, he's written. open pit. He would have got. He's got the underground experts down there. <laughs> you reckon but, he gets claustrophobic? Yeah, no. Nah, but I, and from what I've been, what I understand, um, there's a lot of the Gualia ore body. There's a lot of things that you need rules, stringent rules that you need to follow to make sure you mine that ore body correctly with the stress and the the backfill mm. and and everything like that. And that's to be and you. Stop following those rules, things go to shit. And a lot of it's like because it's a 40-degree ore body, like pulling the footwall correctly, like the drill and blast and a lot of things, everything has to go right. And it sounded like a lot of those things, historical rules sort of fell by the wayside over time, which can happen in a Mm. technical department. 
if they're not enforced properly. And it sounds like they've got ex-Qualia personnel from that early area that, that know what those rules are. They're working there now and reinforcing that. Yeah. So I think if that – and last – just looking at that last quarter's performance is probably an indication that it's it's been steered the right way. That's that's where a management premium comes in because mm. that shit starts happening. Well, so, yeah, I mean you'd probably patch up the relationship with um with the contractor there. I think what's well, McMahon's are still on on site doing the underground, and you know I think I remember uh, when I've forgotten his name the um the previous. Um, MD that was in charge there. He, um, they got McMahon's had been on site for all of about two weeks, and they got blamed for the downgrade in the in the in the quarter oh, or something like <laughs> that. Yeah. No, you did the announcement. Yeah, like same Barb's had uh, the burn cut had been there for ages, and they're like yeah. switching contractors. I'm like, well, burn cut's the most sophisticated and manned up contractor that you can get. So yeah. I don't know, Why? stupid of a company to think, oh, we'll get someone cheaper and they can do a better job than you. So yeah. Yeah. Why is it Why is it the second most short stock on the, on the ASX? Uh, I think, yeah, it's a really good question. And I've been scratching my head about that for um, for, for, for a best part of a month um, now. My understanding is that there's um, – it's, it's to do with speculation that there's going to be a bid for Red 5 – and so, yeah. um, you know, I, you know, without look with a positive outlook for for gold price, and and obviously doing the court, having the quarter that they had, so things look like they're going working well. You know, I wouldn't want to be short the stock, but and I think the only way that short sits there is if you've got a long on the other side with with red five to try and hedge out that gold price exposure. At a guess, I think that's that's probably a chunk of it. Um, but then, you know, there was that that big wedge of of, of short interest that sort of came in just after the index inclusion, yeah. and but then it's kept on crawling up. Yeah. Higher than that, so it was. I thought it was like it was a betting on a mean reversion after oh, the like yeah. index buy. But yeah, you're right. It's it stayed higher. It's um, I haven't had a, I haven't had someone break it down in in sort of a in a thesis where I can understand. No, uh, so I mean, other than somebody thinking they're going to bid for red, which I think is unlikely. Um, I mean, I had heard another expiration. Uh, sorry, uh, explanation in that um, somebody has used their stock. Um, as collateral for a loan someplace else, and so they had to hedge out the movement of that stock to get a to borrow against it. Um, that's one story I've, I've been told. I've got, I don't know if it's true or not, but maybe right. that might be part of it. But um, yeah, in any which case, I mean, it's um, you know I'd ha- I'm happy to take the other side of that trade. I think at the moment, mm. interesting. Well, are you guys keen to do a um, bit of a bit of a, a a segment that will lead into underrated, overrated. <laughs> this is um because last we we I think we did we do underrated overrated for the first time ever with you Sam I think and we I we, think that was we yeah. critiqued you for um, not being concise with the one word. <laughs> <laughs> so gonna, should I get before you start that? Should I get Sammy to bloody uh, see if he validates my bloody two month prediction down there, or tell me if I'm a dumbass or not? Sure, about mate. the Leonora saga. What's yep. yeah? What's what's the prediction there? Well, we do we on Tuesday's episode. This one's out. This is Thursday today. <laughs> well, it's a two part. This could be Friday. This could be, could be anyway. <laughs> My, my thoughts were based on, uh, you know, a bit of a cannon cord note and the, the general feel about, you know, the Red 5 Silver Lake side of things. Mm-hmm. It looks like, you know, Red 5's got twice the EV of Silver Lake, but they've got balanced pressure, but Silver Lake have got shitloads of cash. Mm-hmm. Is, the, is that a logical merger now that Genesis seem to have a base case scenario where they don't need the Red 5 mil? I, I think there's, yeah, there's probably merit to that. I mean, Silver Lake's yeah. got some mine life issues as well like they've mm. you know things haven't gone well for them in the US and so yeah I mean a bit of a tie up between those two could um could make a bit of sense um whether or not it goes ahead it probably depends on on the performance of kick of the hills so like, if they continue to if things go okay there and they can earn themselves out of the you know out of the debt um situation that they're in um then you know Silver Lake are going to have to chase it's probably going to be tough for them but um is it trying but it's trying to make the merger accretive for 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 I guess for the share for Silver Lake shareholders. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it probably yeah. I think if they've already got a position there, then yeah, it probably does does help in that regard. But yeah. I mean, the problem is they don't have a growth story. Like, unless yeah, you, unless you're in, mm. you buy Sugar Zone and you kind of yeah, you, you believe that can be turned around, but they don't have a growth story outside of that. Yeah, but yeah. then again, a lot of um, a lot of mines have been running on two year mine lives forever. Yeah. <laughs> So there's uh they might be one of those companies that just keeps going and going yeah, off the could be. off the smell of an oily rag. But uh, I suppose is it just reminds me a little bit of a situation where if you've got a you know, if you've got a declining mine life across your across your asset base, 
um, and you don't have an easy solution yourself, like you're not confident that the expiration is going to continue to extend and extend like some of these big, um, these undergrounds do, um, you know, that's sort of the situation that Independence or it was called um, Independence Group, now IGO, was in before they bought Sirius. I mean, those nickel mines that they had um, long was getting, long. yeah. Jaguar was one of them too. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. They were pretty, pretty, had pretty short mine lives. And so, you know, I think at the time they were around $4 a share and I my MPV because my, mine, my mines were coming to an end and I wasn't, paying for more of them but like on an earnings multiple basis they look fine but on a mul- on an mpv basis they look pretty expensive um and i think uh um uh peter bradford knew that and so he you know he bid for uh, bid for serious and then he got all sorts of grief saying he was you know he paid too much for it it's like well i think he was using overpriced scripts so in actual totally. fact i think peter probably yep. did a pretty decent deal and it turned out to be a pretty good deal in, in the fullness of time anyway yeah yeah right yeah. rip it yeah, all oh, right. right. So these these are one one sentence answers. I've only got two questions, um, but it's just it's just to get you primed to be concise. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the the only rule for this this uh, brief round is answer a complicated question in just one sentence. Right. Mm-hmm. Number one, why does Pilbara have twenty percent short interest? I think the markets out there thinks lithium price is continuing to fall, and they're probably going to the markets thinking they're going to buy something. Mm. Ooh. Number two, what is Silver Lake trying to achieve by buying 10% of Red 5? I think they want an insurance policy just in case, um, you know, Sugar Zone and, and their other mines, uh, you know, start running short of mine life. They need they need a place to go. Oh, fuck, he's well done, mate. You're bloody on the <laughs> money today. <laughs> right, keep it going. I'm All loving righty. this energy. Underrated, overrated now. <laughs> One word, answers. Okay. Oh, Jesus Christ. I like how you bloody went sentence to one word. Transitioned. Breaking it down. Okay, first up, Chris Ellison and Gina Reinhart teaming up. What, sitting in a tree? (laughs) (laughs) I I, um, Well, that's a short. (laughs) I'd say as in the likelihood that it's going to happen? Yeah. Nah, overrated. Mm. The fish are too big there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whitehaven Coal's purchase of Blackwater and Dornier. Underrated. Getting new, bringing new Met Coal in is near on impossible. So you've got to buy existing production. It's very hard to bring on new supply. So that, those projects would be worth a lot in fullness of time, I think. Cobalt as a commodity. Oh, overrated. I mean, that, that was a, that cheek lift was an overrated <laughs> striker. It's it's hard investing in commodities which are byproducts because the prices can like stay very low or very high for fullness of time. Like it's it's tough. It's tough. Mm. Uh, undeveloped hard rock lithium deposits in WA. <laughs> Good question. Ah, oh, I got to say overrated because of the run they've had. Mining services as a sector. Underrated. They need to stop growing. Like these things are trading at, at discounts to their, you know, to their replacement um, replacement cost. Like they, you know, they're, they're good businesses. They're critical to an industry. They probably deserve a higher return than what they're getting, um, and it'll come. I just don't know. I don't know when. Yeah, the the clients um, that engage them are probably getting a good deal. <laughs> That's mm. why they're because the contractors are not making anything. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Uh, IGO today. Or I have to say overrated, I think. I mean, nickel price is looking pretty crook. They're, it's a know, lithium business now. Yeah. It's a Greenbush's business. Well, this, <laughs> this is true. Um, but like a non-controlling interest. <laughs> financial vehicles that have exposure to Greenbush's. <laughs> and, and nickel exploration. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're starting to, to – well, it sounds like they're going to be stockpiling spodumene down at, um, at Greenbush's this uh, – um, this quarter, you know, it puts a big question mark over, you know, the, the pricing mechanism that they're, you know, that they've got down there, and and what sort of risks sit around that, and and you know, what multiple are you pre- prepared to pay for it? So, yeah, they've got some questions to answer. Kathleen Valley, I'm not, I'm not familiar with it. Really. It's been out of the market for so long. Um, I'll probably say underrated. Then I reckon oh, that's probably. I don't, I don't think West Farmers shareholders would probably appreciate what that mar- that project could do. Assuming lithium prices sort of stabilise and maybe even pick up a bit, Lime Town shareholders. Sorry, oh, are you, oh, are you, you getting, interpreted Mount Holland. Oh, sorry, I'm uh, thinking oh, Mount Holland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not uh, yeah. not Kathleen Valley. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Kathleen Valley. Uh, 
I think it's I think it's probably possibly overrated, which I might upset a few people in saying that. But I'm I'm just skeptical. Um, oh, I agree that uh, <laughs> that that mining lithium from underground is a is a long term profitable proposition, and maybe will be proven wrong in the fullness of time. But I reckon it's going to be tough, real tough. Not I don't, yeah, I don't know if I agree with the, too concerned about the underground, but I just think there's a a lot more dosh to be put into that. Yeah, no, maybe <laughs> to get so. Four million out. Centaurus metals. Ah, oh, probably underrated. That's a um, you know that nickel, the, the one with the nickel project up in, in Brazil. Brazil. Yeah, yeah, it looks like a fantastic discovery. Nickel's out of favour. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, you know it'll do well in a, in a different market. Uh, the caliber of board directors in our industry. Oh, good question. The question, to answer the question, I need to assume what people think of them. <laughs> mm. um, oh, I think I'll say, I'll say underrated. I'll be kind. I mean, there are some excellent ones. And I think, as you know, I said, like running mining businesses is tough. Um, and there's a lot of executive teams out there which I think are quite good, but they struggle against some pretty, um, you know, horrific headwinds in terms of sort of you know, star, volatility of, of staff sort of, you know, um, uh, moving moving on and, and, and retention and things like that. You know, they've got commodity prices which go up and down. They've got cost lines that go up and down um, pretty dramatically. You know, it's, it's a tough business. It's a tough business. The problem with keeping you to one word is I'm interested in hearing. Yeah, I'm, loving it. I'm actually <laughs> loving the explanation. So we'll just – Sammy's got his Keep own going. rules. Keep going. Right. Um, another one I'm interested to hear your thoughts on – is it underrated or overrated the impact that laterite Indonesian nickel projects will have on the nickel cost curve? Oh, I think it's underrated. Like, there's so much supply coming up there, and I mean, we've already we've, nickel prices have already fallen a bit, but they've reset the cost curve lower, and it's um, you know until those guys start losing money and pulling back on the growth, it's it's going to be tough. I think nickel could be in the doldrums for a little while. Alpha from shareholder activism in this current environment? Uh, I think it's underrated. I think that there should be more shareholder activism around. I think it's... Um, oh, you're me, mate. We can have a chat after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think it's... Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a good thing when um, when uh, when investors are, are there to keep, um, keep directors and boards honest because some of them, you know, do stray off on a path which may not be in the interest of, of their shareholders. This what? Oh, go, you go. This one's a one or the other because I know you're active on both, but Twitter or LinkedIn? Uh, probably X. Probably LinkedIn, I think. Yeah. I, mean, I, get, I mean, there's good articles on both, but probably just, you know, there is also a lot of rubbish on, uh, on Twitter, but some of the articles from experts in their field that I've read as a result of, of flicking through LinkedIn, I think I find quite valuable. In situ recovery for uranium. Uh, as in where it's under overrated, mm. um, I'd be difficult to be overrated, I think. I mean, it's a big part of global supply, so I'd have to say underrated. The, uh, the potential of DLE, direct lithium extraction tech, impacting lithium in, uh, in the medium term? Uh, overrated. I mean, who knows what will happen, but at the moment I, it, just, it seems tough to me. Mm. Vanadium. Uh, probably overrated, I'd say. I mean, you keep on hearing things about these vanadium flow batteries, but they, you know, I think they're still expensive. They haven't really come, you know, cracked that cost threshold yet. Um, they don't catch on fire, which is a good thing, and that's there's something to be said for that for sure. But um, I don't think we're there yet. And happy to be, I'm not. I must admit, I'm not close to the space though. I'm all out, gents. Investing in Africa today. Oh, good question. Probably. Um, Probably underrated, I'd say, and I'd say that in the context of like we don't do a lot in uh, in Africa, but the the multiples that those Jump stocks right off, it'd yeah. be hard pressed to be overrated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, unless assets start getting expropriated left, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you sort of, you say that, but you think you know they they can lift um, royalties, you know, not necessarily in gold, but certainly in other commodities in, in Australia as well, and um, things get renegotiated. But yeah, some of the multiples that you know the likes of Perseus and and, Wes, and WAF. You know, good day to Richard Hyde if he's if he's watching this. You know, did a fantastic job getting um those those projects up and running and producing decent decent cash. But you know, trade on uh, trade on a pittance compared to their Australian um, peers. 
Money of mine. <laughs> oh, underrated. You guys, the tops. Beautiful. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Should we say? Love it. Australian Financial Review. No. <laughs> <laughs> right, mate. Bloody ripper. That'll be awesome. a two-parter for sure, right? Eh? Yeah. Absolutely. I appreciate you coming down and having a chat, Sammy. No, nah, more than a pleasure, guys. Does anyone else, like, facilitate <laughs> you to just come and just do this? Like, to Shoot just talk mining and bloody... Pick your brain. Oh, no, I tell you what, it is an absolute pleasure being here because I try and like to speak when I'm at home and no, <laughs> and no one gives a shit what I say. She's like, how about you? Okay, what's, is the fund up or down? Yeah, exa- exactly right. I don't, I don't even get asked that. So, you know, it's, um, uh, you know, talking, you know, talking, you're talking your industry that I've, I've worked in and invested in is, uh, is fantastic. So I really appreciate it, guys. It's Thanks a very much. Thing we're, to we're, happy, <laughs> we're happy to help because we need to do it because we've got to put a bloody show out each day. So, uh, awesome. sensational, awesome. lads. Thanks all the bloody, uh, all the partners. Mate, we've got, we've got partners these days, Sammy. We've come a long way since we yeah, first. Yeah, look at you guys going. That's what's powering that light there. So <laughs> we a, maybe we need an SMR to bloody do the office. I can rattle off the partners, Matty, because I know you don't have it in front of you and we've got too many to remember now. DSI yeah. Underground Terra Capital, McMahon Mining Title Services, Future Proof Consulting, Anytime Exploration Services, KCA Site Services, JP Search, Brooks Airways and K-Drill. That's a like sponsorship preso with no full stops. That was good. Thank you, Matty. That was very flawless. Awesome. Right, oh, cheers, Money Morning. So to Ruth. Thanks, Sammy. The information contained in this episode of Money of Mine is of general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. Before making any investment decision, you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives, financial situation and needs.